This is Nikki Lee, your host for Ready for Love Radio. Today we are going to talk to A.D. Burks. He is an author, and he's going to talk to you about sex addiction. Now, I have a bunch of questions for him, and I'm hoping that some of my questions are going to hit on some of your concerns and your thoughts. And definitely I'm going to welcome your, your comments. I'll post an uh, interview with him on my website, uh, lovecoachjourney.com and definitely feel free to take a look at that and, and post your thoughts. We want to hear what you have to say. And, you know, I, I am totally open to, um, you know, if, if you do or don't agree, let us know what you think. It, it helps all of us to do that. So, A.D., would you like to tell the folks a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Nikki, first for having me on your show. Uh, I am a 36-year-old recovered sex uh, addict, and basically I grew up in Houston, Texas. I was the only child, and I was raised uh, Baptist, and I always had a love for music, wanted to be a doctor, so I always sort of excelled in academics, and then I uh, ended up going to the high school for health professions because I thought I wanted to be a doctor, and I excelled at the high school for health professions and then ended up going to Grinnell College and majoring in chemistry. When I was at Grinnell, I, I had the opportunity to sing at Carnegie Hall with the Grinnell Singers, and my love for music kept growing. So I, I went ahead and finished my chemistry degree in three years and started pursuing music. And from there, I ended up going to Atlanta, and I got to work with Tony Braxton's vocal coach and go overseas with her, and her being Tony Braxton's vocal coach during the holidays. and got to sing in Italy and Switzerland, all that good stuff. And Man, I, I, think, more, I think being the love of music, getting to perform at Carnegie Hall would just be fantastic. Yeah, it was. I mean, we, we were, what happened was our director was sanctioned by the state of Iowa for our sesquicentennial piece. It was called Broken Ground, so that's, uh, the choir was able to sing there. And it was, um, um, of course, an amazing experience, just the structure of the building of Carnegie alone, alone and then to be able there and know your voice is resonating throughout it is amazing. I've heard that. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> that is so cool. Well, I think so we're going to talk I, about a lot of – go ahead. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll wrap up real quick. So after working in the music industry in um, Atlanta, I ended up deciding the best thing was to come back and get an MBA advice in entrepreneurship. And so from that, I ended up working in real estate development and then ultimately – writing this book about sex addiction. You know, it, it's interesting the paths we take through life. It really is. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm going to just put this out there up front and get it off the table so we can, we can move past it. I'm, I'm very skeptical about diagnosis of addictions. I, I, I don't think I'm alone with that. Um, oh, no. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to uh, belittle people's struggles. That's not what it is. It just, I think, the biggest issue, and the first times I ever really even heard people talk about being a, a quote-unquote sex addict, is celebrities, you know, like, mm-hmm. like Tiger Woods and Jesse James when they got caught cheating. And they're like, oh, right. oh I have to go to rehab. And, and I just, I have a mental issue with that, <laughs> you know. So here's my thing. I, I'm not trying to say there's not a problem. I'm not saying people don't need treatment for different things. But my thing is, it, it seems like some people were very quick, quick to claim that they have an addiction. So what, what is, I'm sure you've had that question before, so what, is, what do you tell people that are skeptical about that? 
Well, I go back to the one of the two main points in my book, which is one, sex is not equal to love, but the main the starting point is addiction is equal to pain. So anytime you look at anyone with an addiction, there's pain behind it. So whether I choose to cope with alcohol or drugs or, in my case, sex, at the end of the day, if there's pain and I'm using a particular substance or sex to handle that pain, that to me is an addiction. And the addiction form gets to, is basically at the point where anytime I want to escape from pain, I use that. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. <clears throat> kind of like people who who eat when when they're hurting or they're upset or that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Or, or gamblers, shoppers. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. So All right. now I do agree. Some celebrities may have used sex addiction <laughs> as a an excuse. I can't speak for them because I'm not that. You know, I don't know their lives. But for me, I knew it was an addiction because of the effect it had on my life and what it was. You know all-encompassing in that right. you start figuring out, okay, how are you going to feed the addiction just to get through because right. you're still trying to escape that pain. And by focusing on the sex, I don't have to deal with the pain that's in the root cause of it. Well, it would definitely distract you from, from the pain and from facing it and dealing with it and that sort of thing. So that, that makes sense. So what, what are some of the signs or the indications that a person would really be a sex, a sex addict? Well, um, for a, a more, remember, I am not a licensed professional counselor. I'm not a exactly. certified sex, yeah. But for that, for, to get definitive psychological answers, you might want to look at Patrick Karn's book, Facing the Shadow, and the book, Out of the Shadows. And they're more clinically defined terms. To give sort of layman's term of an addict and characteristics, you start looking at what they're doing and when when are they going and having sex. You know, is it because they're in a loving relationship or is it they're having sex just to get away from the pain? So some of the signs may be, for instance, watching porn. You know, that was a big trigger. And what you feed your mind, you start – you know, wanting to act out, and that was one of the biggest things for me. The more porn I watched, the more things I wanted to experience. So to me, watching porn regularly, uh, going to bathhouses, you know, just having random sex, anonymous sex, you know, those type of behaviors and the escalation of those behaviors are key signs for sex addicts. Now, the problem with sex addiction versus alcohol and drugs is you don't really see those signs on the outside, you know, if someone's doing drugs, you may use the physical signs of it or usually evident track marks, but with sex addiction, you don't really see it, especially because after the sex addict, you know, has that high of the sex, they might be performing even better than before because they're on a high, but those signs are, they're so subtle, which makes the addiction so much more, you know, diabolical. True. True. I hadn't thought about that because, like I said, like like you said, that it's real obvious if if like a person's drinking so much and that sort of thing, that that kind of thing you're going to notice. But yeah, that's right. a good point. I like that. Um. So what? Well, and, and I was asking for layman's terms because I'm thinking, you know, what what can just your normal person <clears throat> or or friend and family notice that may be an indication that there's a problem. 
it's going to be real hard giving the addict to me because I think it goes back to the aren't just obvious signs. But I know me personally, I was always running, trying to go, go somewhere else. You know, you're constantly on the move right? versus sort of being just calm. There, there's a always needing to be somewhere because you're running. And it's really no clear-cut evidence. Uh, I think there's, there's what I call the addictive cycle. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have that stage where you feel depressed after the sex. And okay. maybe family members or friends will start noticing a slight withdrawal. And maybe they can pick up on that. But usually sex addicts are so good at, you know, covering it up, you really won't know. So you would, to me, it might be easier for a partner to know that their, their partner is dealing with sex addiction because right. the intimacy of love and love making versus the sex and they're just having sex and, and they were able to see, okay, well, why are you part- watching porn? Are you, you know, masturbating excessively? You know, all those are different signs that can tell, okay, do I have a sex addict on my hand? And I think, not to always go back to the book, but if you look at some of the behavior I had in my book, you know, watching porn, going to clubs, doing these, all those different things, all that feeds into it. Also, look at their friends because sex addicts are always going to surround themselves with things that will feed their addiction. And given that you need people for sex, look at their friends and look at their behaviors and see what they're saying about those people too. Because as I said, we all heard the phrase, birds of feather flock together. Sex addicts are going to insulate their environment and their world with fellow sex addicts. Well, it would seem, and in, in you know, I've, I've written a lot of articles and, and talked to a lot of people about, you know, if they think they have a cheating spouse. And, and it could be the same kind of thing. If, if you see some of these indications, like the person's pulling away from you, if the intimacy is decreasing, um, it, you know, if they're watching a lot of porn, instead of wanting to spend time with, with their partner, even if they're not a sex addict, it, there's something unhealthy going on, you know, whether it's right. in the relationship or with the person themselves. So that should be a, a red flag. But like I said, even, even if it's not a full-blown addiction, it's still something that the person needs to admit to themselves and to their partner, say, you know, there is a problem here of some kind. You know, we, we need to get some help. We need to look into this and just see, see what's wrong. I think yeah. a lot of people don't do that just, just normally in a relationship if they see issues. And, and one of the things I tell people is one of the first signs that you've got a, a situation in your relationship you need to address is, is, is if the kissing stops or if you rarely kiss the person or it's just kind of a peck mm-hmm. on the cheek, kind of like a habit sort of thing, you know. But if, if you start to see problems, in, especially in a long-term relationship, you need to do something about it, you know. But I, yeah. think, I think people it, don't like to admit that, and, and they don't want to talk to a stranger about that kind of stuff. Right. But, but it's what we don't address that can't be resolved. And so you've got to definitely be able, someone has to, in a relationship has to speak up and say, hey, I'm noticing some changes here. What's going on? Because like you say, if it's you normally are kissing or touching, whatever form of intimacy you and your partner normally have and and it stops, something's wrong. Right, right. And it's going to be different for each couple. But, I mean, they they, – Yep. Even if you don't suspect there's something serious going on, you notice when there's a change, you know. Oh, yes. So, now you mentioned – you mentioned that – 
how the person feels afterwards, you know, after they're having this anonymous sex or, or just with random people, that sort of thing. What about guilt after having random sex or, or even, even with somebody that, that you know and, and say you see them several times, but you still have that guilt afterwards? Would that be a part of this or is, is that different? I think the guilt comes after the recon- once the addict recognizes there's an addiction because when you look at addiction, it's all about self. So it's about getting your needs filled. So you really aren't concerned about what effect your actions are having on others because you're in such pain, you're just trying to get a release from it because it's easy for us to just look at the addiction, okay, this person's doing this, and then they stop doing it, but you still haven't gotten to the root. Until you get to the root of the pain, then that person can go back and assess, you know what, my actions are hurting others, and then at that point there can be some remorse. Okay, that's a good point. What about personal guilt? Because I know a lot of people have guilt associated with sex in general, and, and obviously if, if you have that feeling just normally especially people that aren't married that were, were brought up in a really strict household and that sort of thing may, may have that situation. Um, and I, I would think that, you know, if, if you have that, that guilt with, you know, even if it's like premarital sex with one person or that sort of thing, if you were having sex with a lot of people, and especially people that you don't really know and that sort of thing, I would think that would really amplify that guilt. Or am I- yeah, I think, I think uh, it goes back to, the more comfortable you get in your sin, and say the sex addiction is your sin or whatever it is, the guilt starts waning versus maybe at the initial you think, oh, this isn't right. Because I remember, as I talked about in the club, like I remember the first time I went to this club, I felt I was like I really shouldn't be here. But as, more, as I started going to it more and more often, it was like, oh, okay, that's just normal. And it's not until you totally remove yourself, then that guilt comes. But I think the guilt is what happens initially. And once you put in your mind, okay, this is okay, I don't need to feel guilty for it, then it goes away. Yeah, it seems like the, well, we become immune after a certain point. You know, the more, the more you yep. go against what, what you know in your heart is right or, or what your conscience is telling you the, your, is right and wrong, I mean, the more you fight that, the more dull it gets. You know, and you just exactly. it's not an issue. And I think the best thing to do then is at that initial onset, as soon as you realize, okay, I don't feel, I'm starting to feel guilty about this, go and talk to someone because then you can catch it before it goes to a whole other level. Right. Cool. Okay. All right. That, make, that all makes sense. I, I like asking these, these questions that just pop into my head because you, you never know where to lead. <laughs> Absolutely. And I say one road leads down to another, so it's going to – be the road that's going to get somebody some help. It's definitely the right road we should be going. Well, that's and, and like we talked about before we started recording, it, you never know what's going to resonate with a person. So you know, if, right. if something if something pops into my head or your head, it's probably popping into someone else's head too. Yeah. So can you tell what can you tell us about the treatment program for sex addiction? How does that well, actually work? Okay, so they actually have what are called C eight. CSAT, Certified Sex Addiction Therapist, and you can go online and look them up. And most of those programs are sort of based on uh, Dr. Carnes' program for treating sex addiction. 
Now, I personally went to a certified sex addiction therapist and didn't have the best experience. And this is where I think it's very important is if you choose to go the counseling route, you have to find someone that you feel comfortable with. And I think my true, true sort of breakthrough came once I got with another counselor who wasn't a certified sex uh, addiction therapist, but we meshed. And she was able to get to the root cause of what was causing my addiction. Because you've got to realize the addiction is the symptom. And if you try to just treat the symptoms, you and I know in medicine you can treat symptoms all day, but if the virus or, you know, disease is still there, it's going to come back. So yeah, I don't – like I don't, I don't, a Band-Aid or, or popping an aspirin, that, that doesn't fix the problem. Exactly. So to me, to get the true, you know, recovery you need from sex addiction, you have to understand what is causing you to act out. You have to get to the root of the problem and fix it. Exactly. Totally. Well, and, and let's, let's also tell people that, that getting a person that you mesh with doesn't mean they're going to tell you, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. You know, oh, no, no, not at all. I, mean, it, I don't think any, yeah, any therapist is not going to want, especially if you're acting out sexually. You know, I was blessed, thank God, that I didn't come away with any diseases that could have killed me. You know, this is true. there were plenty of times my life could have been put in risk and was put in risk and danger, and God saved me. So, yeah, acting out, I, I don't think any, like you said, any therapist or anybody. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be a pastor. It could, it could just be a great friend that you trust and just is, has that spirit on them where they can, you know, really talk to you about your, your problems. But anybody is not going to say, oh, just keep doing what you're doing. That, that, that's irrational. I just, I just want to make anybody that's qualified to help you isn't going to say that. I just want to make sure that the listeners know that, that that's not what was meant by finding somebody that you mesh with or, or that resonates with you. You know, it's, you still got to face the problem. So if somebody just said, oh, no, you're okay, don't worry about it, that, you, you probably need a second opinion. Oh, absolutely. Because if, if that was the case, why would you even be going to them in the first place? Exactly, exactly. You know, it's about being supportive, not just giving you a, a you know, free ride for stuff. So now something else and this is a little bit off topic, but I think while we're talking about sexual behavior I think it is important to mention is and this is something I'm going to delve into more in, a, in another show, is the impact that um, religion can have on our relationships and on our sexual behavior and how we feel about it. What what do you think about that? Uh, I, I think that was part of the reason why I was acting out sexually. I grew up, you know, Baptist, and, of course, premarital sex isn't approved of. Of course, homosexuality isn't approved of. And if you're told that who you are isn't acceptable, it's going to definitely affect every aspect of your life. Definitely. Well, and how how do you feel that the homosexuality played into all this? Well, how big a part do you think it was? Me, me being an only child, I definitely wanted to honor my mom and the sacrifices she had made for me to have a great life. And with her being raised by a Baptist minister, you know, she I didn't want to let her know, hey, I'm homosexual, and I want a family with a man. 
that was just a concept I wasn't comfortable relaying to her because I knew how much pain and hurt it would cause her. So in a sense of me really dealing with that issue, I end up going down a sex addict route when in actuality if I had been strong enough, willing enough to just have that discussion with my mom and accept myself for who I was, then I wouldn't have run down this road of, you know, using sex to handle the pain, which is why I'm really pushing this message now because I don't want other men, women, you know, doing the same thing because they feel God's going to send them to hell, their family's going to disown them, and not accept them for who they are. Very true. Very true. That was that was something I saw during this this whole Doug Dynasty debate debate that's been all over the internet lately. Is you know you you can disagree with people and not have the same feelings and beliefs that they do, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you hate the person. It doesn't mean that you right. have an issue with that that person. And that's, you can you can have different beliefs and still respect each other. You know, still yeah. love each other, still care for each other. And I think a lot of people kind of lose that. If, if they're like, well, I read the Bible and it says that that. You know, men who lie with men, this is a sin, and, and that just, you, you can't have that. And it's like, people, you need to learn to be more tolerant of other people, and we all have something in our lives that we believe that somebody else has an issue with. I don't care who you are. You know? yeah, right. So, you know, being, well, being tolerant and, and understanding that people are different, people have different needs, different desires, and whether you agree with them or not, that doesn't make either one of the people a bad person, you know. And it's more also getting understanding. You know, everybody will cite the Bible, but they don't know the context in which it was written. You know, I have, and this was very big for, my, I guess, my acceptance of myself, is having people that are theologians and who understand the Bible and who are able to explain to me, yes, when that Bible verse was written, men having sex with other men was an abomination, it was also at the time where God was trying to build a nation. So if a man is having sex with another man, then his seed isn't able to produce. So you've got all that being left out of context. And, you know, that's the biggest thing is people will quote the Bible but don't have any inclination of what was surrounding that verse. There's a lot of things done that way in the Bible. People read it and they read one little individual verse and it's like, did you read the whole chapter? <laughs> you know? Right. As I said, Everybody wants to pick and choose and to fit their needs, and which is why I go back to, you know, one of my biggest things is form your own relationship with God. And once you do that, he'll give you the clarity that you need regarding anything written in that book. That's it. Well, and 20 people can read the very same passage, and they're going to get at least 20 different, if not 30 different interpretations. <laughs> Absolutely. That's just that's the nature of how things are. Which is but why it's so in, important in that each society. person, that, you know, that's why it's so important each person have their own relationship with God because at the end of the day, no one can send you to hell or heaven but him. Well, the thing is, it's not going to do you any good to, like, grab on the coattails of somebody else's relationship. It's just not going to do you any good. You know, Absolutely. especially when you have problems and, and trials and tribulations to go through, that's not going to be of any use to you whatsoever. It's it's nope. you personally. And it's it's not necessarily, it, it doesn't have to be involved with, like, an organized religion. You have to attend such and such a times a week kind of thing. It's, mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's something that's becoming 
a bigger thing for people is, and there, there's even a, even an option on Facebook to put down that you're you're not a specific religion, but you're a spiritual person. And right. I know a lot of people kind of poo-poo that, but you you can be a spiritual person. You can feel that you have a relationship with God. You can understand the scriptures and and you know find comfort from the scriptures and this sort of thing without the quote-unquote, organized religion mentality that so many people have. Well, and I think everybody has that organized religion mentality because of society, ever since mass production, everything needs to keep being the same way, and we get into this whole group thing, and everything needs to be one way. When you look back at the society, when it, as a, I mean the world as a whole, you had so many different things. Definitely. And we all know how society goes when, when you don't fall into the little niche everybody thinks you're supposed to fit into. <laughs> right. But if you look at the people who end up breaking through, it is the ones who don't follow the norm. And everybody's, oh. <laughs> exactly. And then, see, everybody else catches up. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So it goes back to be your own person, form your own relationship with God. <laughs> it is like, come on, people, catch up. <laughs> <laughs> stuff up here. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that would get me in trouble with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know. Um, one other thing, we're actually going to do a whole other show together where we where we talk about his his book and and the details and and his program. But one of your messages is, sex is not equal to love. That's something yes. that I mean. They need to teach a class about that in high school. They really do. It's funny you mention that because I I even thought about doing a whole campaign regarding that for children because if, you know, our society promulgates sex throughout it. It's on TV, radio, Internet, as I say, even the book. You've got kids texting and sexting on their phones. So it's Mm -hmm. everywhere, and they're inundated with it, but there's no framework for them to understand the concept of sex. So a lot of people, and especially addicts, addicts are searching for love. They want to feel love. I think everybody wants to feel love. And so what happens is you start equating every time I have sex, I'm being loved, when in actuality that's not true. Well, how how many times do you hear teenage girls that, that when they finally face the fact that you know, sleeping around is just not really the answer. And they're like, yeah. well, I just, he said he loved me, you know, or or I didn't get love at home, you know, my, my father wasn't in the picture, whatever, and, and I just, I needed love, and so I went out and had sex with people I thought cared about me, you know. Absolutely. So there, there's definitely a mental disconnect for a lot of people that just because you're having sex with a person does not mean that they love you. Absolutely. And we need to have those conversations more frequently because then, as I go back to what you don't address, you can't change. Once we start addressing sex doesn't equal love, people's whole minds around sex will change because you can have some of the most intimate moments with your partner and sex not be involved. Well, a lot of people don't understand that sex and intimacy aren't the same thing. You can have one without the other easily. That's true. You know, Absolutely. But now, if, if you have both, that's incredible. Yes, it is. It okay. gets almost to the spiritual realm. Well, it does. It, well, that's like people talk about Tantra, and you mention that, and they're like, oh, that's that, that God thing. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, this is, this is a, a connection on a level that if you've never experienced it, and I, I've, I've got a friend that, that used to, to tour with, like, 
you know, huge rock bands. And, uh-huh. and so Sex had plenty of that. But he's never had any kind of real intimacy with somebody. I'm like, you just don't understand what you're missing, you know. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know, it's it's something people really, it'd be amazing, even if you could get married, committed couples to understand intimacy is a whole other level of a connection between two people. And like I said, Definitely it doesn't just include sex. There's so much more to it. Yeah, the, the reality is sex will not keep your relationship. I was going to say in terms of another book, to, that there's a book called Hooked, and it uh, talks about how the brain works once you're having sex. All the, and, and that would be actually another thing when you're asking about is an addiction. If you look at the effects of drugs, there's scientific research showing, you know, the chemical activity in the brain of sex addicts. It mimics that of drugs and alcoholics. How sex, as far as, you know, thoughts, feelings, actions, all that sort of thing, how it affects the brain, it is just really fascinating stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, let me see, because we talked, we, we kind of hit a little bit on, on quite a few of the things I want to talk about, and then, like I said, we're going to talk more about um, why AD decided to get into to sexual-related and relationship-related topics, and, and why he just felt the need to reach out to people in more detail, and we're going to tell you more about his book also. So, thank you very much for listening in today, and the big question, folks, is are you ready for love?